Hey, Crispin here. It's the North Shore Vineyard Audio Podcast. Today on the podcast, we have part five of our series, Life Connected. We're looking at the inward journey. This is the final of the series that we've been going through for the last five weeks. And we're inviting folks to consider taking a journey with us this year. And to put it in context, if you haven't heard the other messages, go back and listen to them online as well because it'll really fill you in on some of the stuff we've been talking about. Hey, we've got a lot of fun things going on at North Shore Vineyard over the next few weeks, so stay up to date by visiting us on the website at northshorevineyard.org. But for now, let's go ahead and head over to 525 East Boston Street, downtown Covington, North Shore Vineyard Church. Thanks for listening. Check, check. Okay, that's better, right? We're, we're going to offer prayer for people's ears at the end of the service. Mike said I was trying to bring Weird Al Yankovic back today on the, on the accordion. Weird Al, Weird Al Yankovic, he's got mad skills on the accordion. He does. I just, I've been aggravating my family at home so much with the accordion, I had to let you in on their pain. Uh, I feel like I didn't grow up in Louisiana. I grew up in West Texas, so I, I is it a little loud? It's, I'm feeling boomy up here. Um, so I was not around Cajun culture growing up at all. I was far from it. The, the closest I got to accordion out there was Tex-Mex music. So, um, But I feel like I'm an official Louisiana person now. I'm out, I'm out on my back porch at night playing Zydeco stuff, and uh, that's, uh, that's fun. I don't know if my neighbors appreciate it, but hey, if, if this is your first time here today, we're glad to have you here with us, and um, you, you've kind of caught us at an interesting time. We're, we're going through kind of what, what I've been calling a, a series called Life Connected, and, and really we're looking at some of the core values of this church, what some of the distinctives that kind of maybe set us apart from maybe other churches, but, but kind of uh, hit at what we're, what we're going for here as a church. And so in, in this series, I, I've also said that it's kind of our membership class. We've never done a membership class, and so I thought, well, these things are important enough. We need to get just let everybody know where they're at and give you an opportunity uh, to join us in the journey. And, and I prefer to use that term journey because I, I don't like the, the typical idea of church membership because it, it, it seems like it, it's good for just saying, hey, we got X amount of members in the church. But it really doesn't seem to have a lot of impact in everybody's uh, ongoing spirituality. So we're just asking that, that if these things that we're talking about these last four weeks, which if you haven't heard them all, you can check them out online on our website or on iTunes. Uh, if they resonate with you and you say, yes, I, I would love to be a part of a community of faith that's heading in these directions, then uh, we're going to give you the chance to sign up for the journey. Uh, we're going to pass out some uh, covenant uh, sheets at the end of the service today, and you can take them home and pray about it and uh, sign them up. So the last few weeks, just a little recap, previously on North Shore Vineyard, uh, a few weeks ago I talked about our, our, this, this series, Life Connected, and, and how the, the first connection, the most meaningful connection is our connection to Jesus. We, we realized that in us, we don't have the power to do anything uh, lasting. Uh, we need God to bear fruit in our lives. We can't manufacture love and peace and joy and all that amazing stuff. It only comes from being connected to God. And that's what Jesus said. I'm getting real muffly up here, boomy up here, it sounds like. Is anybody else here, or is it just me? Okay. 
They hear it over here. Um, but the, so the first connection, the most important connection, is being connected to Jesus. But then the second week I talked about how we, it's not only just this, this connection between me and God, it's a connection with other people. Uh, this is what I'd call the withward journey. You know, we're jo- journeying with other people. I actually said that the natural habitat for, for Christians is community. We need that. There's this, this idea of it's just me and God, that's not an idea you find in the, in the New Testament. You find a lot of use of the word y'all, even though it's not there in your typical King James Version translation. But it's all over the New Testament. And so we need other people in our life. Then the week after that, I talked about how it's not necessarily just to be connected with with other people in christian christian community if all you've got is christians around you all the time that group of people is going to become very inward and hostile to outsiders or it's going to be very hard for outsiders to get in you ever been a part of a group like that before i have okay you awake you're alive okay well, good if you haven't. Um, and so we need to be able to, we, as a church, we want to connect with the culture. We're not at war with the culture. I don't even believe in the culture wars. I don't believe that's a battle that Christians are supposed to, to, supposed to fight. I believe there are some bad things in the culture, but what we're trying to do is just communicate with the cultural language. So in this church, uh, we don't use a pipe organ. We, we use an accordion. Um, <laughs> trying to connect with the Cajuns that stumble in. Uh, but, but we, we, we will use the, the language of, of pop music. We'll use movies. We try to do things that connect with the local uh, culture here. We turn this place into an art gallery a couple times a year and participate with things in the city. We do blog parties and things like that because we want to join in and participate and be a blessing to the city. And we believe that Christians you know, sh- should be a creative group of people that can do stuff like that. But if... But I said last week, if you're just being culturally relevant and it's divorced from the mission of God, then you just end up with a cool church. You know, it's cool. It's hip. It's a hipper version of church. But it just creates another kind of religious consumer, uh, the, the hipster Christians, right? And, um, and so we need to not only connect with the culture, we need to do it in a way that is attached to the mission of God, that we want to see God's kingdom come, his will done on earth as it is in heaven. So we seek not only to proclaim Jesus, proclaim the gospel, but we seek to actually meet the actual needs of our community, like helping the food bank out. We'll, we'll have an opportunity, uh, opportunity to, do, to do that in a few weeks. Uh, we have other people that, that have served in, in uh, nursing homes, uh, a lady that goes to our church that, that runs the, the Danielle Inn, uh, the, the house there uh, for young women who've become pregnant who are in in trouble in their lives and so these are good things we think the church ought to be about these i actually grew up in a time in church i remember as a kid the church had this mentality that uh you know the rapture was going to happen any day and jesus was going to take all the christians away so you know a lot of people were racking up credit card debt and pulling away from the world but i I really believe that's 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 a wrong way to think of things on many levels i think we ought to be the people who are loving uh those who are outcasts, who are feeding the hungry, who are doing good things, and prayer, and worship, and all that. Last aspect, though, that I want to talk about today is the inward journey. Because I could say that, that you can take community, mission, cultural relevancy, and if you detach it from a journey within, where you're continuing to, to go deeper in your heart with the work of God, then it's all just going to become religion, religious ritual just doing stuff maybe good stuff 
but it's not coming from a center of being transformed into the image of God. So today's message, it's really going to be a bit more of a testimony. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you about my journey, journey before I ask you to join this inward journey yourselves. Um, it's not going to be our typical message where I've got a whole bunch of scriptures today, but there's some in there, okay? Um, about 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago, I became a part of my first vineyard church that I, I actually participated in. I had a band prior to that, and we, we played a lot of vineyard events, but I'd never attended a vineyard church. And uh, I just thought it was just like another non-denominational charismatic church out there. And uh, Pastor Phil on the South Shore, they had asked me several times uh, over a couple of years if I would come on staff and be the worship pastor there. And I, as I mentioned the last couple of weeks, I just wasn't a big fan of church, you know, like Jesus, uh, love Jesus, but church to me had just become a place where I just got hurt. I had a lot of baggage, and I, I said a couple of weeks ago, I'm kind of the last person you would think would be a pastor at a church, but here I am, and, and, and so some of that will happen uh, as I, you, you'll understand where I'm coming from in my journey, but we did, we did feel, Dean and I, in 2002, that it was time for us to go on staff with the, the vineyard on the South Shore. And we'd never attended a service there, but we felt like this is where we're supposed to go. And I got to tell you, for the first three months we were there, we were just blown away. We would come home from church every day going, oh my goodness, this feels like home. They're speaking our language. They're not manipulating us or guilting us or throwing a bunch of legalism on us. They're, they, it's like they get us. Have you ever had that experience where you just feel like it, it feels like home? Maybe some of y'all, that, that, that's what it feels like here. And, and it felt great because the, the vineyard down there, it seemed very unpretentious. It seemed like you could be yourself. It didn't matter where you were coming in. In life, you had some people who were businessmen dressed up in suits, some guys that were walking in in sandals, and everybody was gathered around Jesus. And I love that. You know, interesting thing about the, the vineyard on the South Shore is they... They were about the size of this church for you know, 8 to 10 years. They, they were 150 to 200 people for a long time. And Phil began to realize that, that they were kind of uh, like a, a, a box of puppies licking each other. You know, it was cute. <laughs> but not, it wasn't, it wasn't attracting outsiders, right? It, it was, it was cute. And, 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 you know, that's what can happen. That's the danger, I think, of any small church is, when you start to feel like you belong, and it's like, man, I've, I, I've, this is the first time I've belonged anywhere in my life. I've got real friends. Sometimes you ever think, like, I don't want to invite anybody because I don't want anybody to screw this up, right? <laughs> and so you become a group of people who are just, a, you know, bless me club, you know, uh, gathering together, and all the community needs are met in your life, but you're not connecting with the rest of the world. And Phil began to feel like that's where the church on the South Shore was. And so... After about 10 years of doing that church, they really began to try some things to intentionally connect with outsiders. And, and they borrowed some of the things from, I talked about seeker churches last week, and they, they borrowed a lot from that movement, and it was wildly successful. When I came on staff there, uh, they were in a, a tremendous time of growth. They, they, they were running 15, 16, 1,800 people every weekend. And when I started, they were doing five services on the weekend, and then they got up to seven, and briefly they got up to eight, and we almost all died when they hit eight, and... Uh, but 
It was an exciting place to be around because not only did we connect with it, we saw that for the first time, it was the first time we'd ever been involved in a church where all kinds of people who weren't Christians were just walking in and they felt okay. And I thought, that's amazing. I'm, I'm glad that, that churches, that, that they were doing that. But I have to say, after being there for about two years, I began to feel kind of a restlessness on the inside. I, I loved what was happening, that the people were coming in like crazy, but I just began to feel restless. Is there something more? Well, at that time, the church was, was wildly successful. They uh, were, had been building a new building out at the end of Williams and Kenner. Uh, and not in Williams, uh, Loyola and Kenner. at 45,000 square foot facility on five acres of land, and it was awesome. We were so happy that we were going to get to go down to at least three services on the weekend and have a little room. Uh, it, it was, a, you know, we think this band is tight. It was really tight over there as well. Uh, the front row, you know, when I would lead worship, the, the guy in the front row would be about this far away from me, except I was on a stage that was about a foot high, and he was about a foot taller than me, and he would just stand there <laughs> and look at me with his coffee in his hand the whole time. <laughs> Awkward. And then he'd tell me, I loved worship. Tell your face. <laughs> so we were all excited to move into this new building. But five days before our first scheduled service in the new building, we got a visit from Katrina. You know, sometimes in our lives, we have the things that we've all planned out, right? We've got it all mapped out. This is what I'm going to do. This is going to be my career. This is, these are my plans. And then all of a sudden, some, some wind comes from out of nowhere and knocks you sideways. Well, that was Katrina. We had this beautiful building. And here we, we, we it was, had about a quarter million dollars worth of damage. And uh, so all the things that we were going to do in there were put on hold. But in a way, I got to say that Katrina, I think, saved my life in ministry. I think had we stayed on that same path and just kept continuing to do amazing weekend services and connect with the culture really well, I think I'd have probably only lasted there about another year because I felt like I was increasingly getting separated from the very ones who had needs in their life in our community because I was spending more and more time up in an office. But Katrina happened and it changed all that. Within a couple of, you know, within a week, really, we had teams coming from all over the country. And that amazing church building we had was, was like a motel for a while. We had, we had 60 to 80 people staying there every week. And then what started in the kind of fellowship hall area, we moved it to a tent city outside. And, and it, it was just an exciting time because we were actually just helping the community in, in very tangible ways, ripping out carpet, sheetrock, helping people sift through their belongings. We were feeding hot meals to folks in our community. There, there was 20 blocks near the church where people were living in FEMA trailers, and we would bring hot meals to them twice a week. And good meals, you know, like stuff we'd want to eat, not just uh, <laughs> sometimes Christians, when they give you a free meal, it's like, oh, thanks for the bologna sandwich. <laughs> We tried to bless people. And I got to tell you, I, I really began to, to sense that, that even, even feeding a hungry person or someone who's lost their home a meal can be such an amazing spiritual thing. And, and God just began to wreck my heart. I was like, this is, this is what the church ought to be doing. We ought to actually be helping folks in the community. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry it took Katrina to wake us up to that. But instead of seeing the 
the local government as an adversary, we began to serve the, the local city hall at Kenner. We, were, we started cooking meals. We ran their kitchen for a while, and we were feeding the government employees, the electrical contractors, people who were coming in. And we'd had some fights before, before Katrina, but we put all that aside, and we just started, you know, we're going to be a blessing. And it was so amazing to get on mission with God, helping those who, who were in need. But I got to tell you, even a year after that, I began to feel this restlessness with inside again. See, we, uh, while this, that work was very rewarding, it was also incredibly exhausting. I was working 60 plus hours a week. I, I became the barbecue cooker, which was, uh, I get, got to live out a bit of my fantasy. Uh, we got these amazing barbecue pits, and I, I'm, I literally cooked thousands of pounds of brisket and pulled pork and and hamburgers and chicken over the couple of years that I was doing that. I was doing that more than I was doing anything in the church. And I loved it because I love cooking, but uh, I loved being able to, to take my gift to doing that because I'm not very good with a hammer, uh, but I, I can cook. So I love being able to serve the community that way. But yet I was finding that, that increasingly about a year and a half after Katrina, I was burned out. I was emotionally spent. I, I, I was... Be- you know, becoming very disconnected from my wife, my kids, my own heart. I was just running on empty. And it was at that point that, that God really began to invite me into the inward journey. Uh, if you've ever been on a, I'm sure everybody's been on an airplane before, but you get that little um, talk they do at the beginning, you know, in case of a loss of cabin pressure, these masks are going to come down. And if you're a parent, they say, you put the mask on you first and then on your child. Why is that? Because as a parent, if you put that mask on, you're going to have the presence of mind to deal with the situation better than if you had to put that mask on your child and you passed out, right? That'd be bad to have a bunch of kids on an airplane who are breathing okay and their parents are passed out. That's a whole different kind of scenario that they don't want to play. So in other words, you've got to take care of yourself before you can take care of anybody else. My problem was I was taking care of everybody else so much, I was killing myself. My health was beginning to suffer. My marriage, uh, my, my ability to be a father who was present to my own children. You know, if, if, you, went on a, uh, if you were on a boat out in the middle of the ocean... And you, you saw an iceberg. Some icebergs might not look that impressive. It might just look like a chunk of ice out on the water. But the problem with icebergs, why they're so dangerous to ships out on the ocean, is because 90% of that iceberg lies beneath the surface. Something that may look very benign up top is, is, is really has a lot more to it. Most of that iceberg is underneath the water, underneath the surface. But you know what? The same is true for people. What you look at in your everyday life, your co-workers, your friends, your family, most of what you see of people is that little tip of the iceberg, that little piece of them that is above the surface. It's the Facebook profile, okay? Have you ever noticed how no one wants to post photos of how they look first thing in the morning on Facebook? I don't, I don't think I've seen one yet. I don't see people posting uh, videos of their arguments with their spouse. You ever see that? I don't see people, uh, you know, posting things about uh, 
how they're so afraid and, and how they're struggling. No, Facebook is a place where you want to you look strong, beautiful, interesting, right? But that's iceberg. <laughs> that's that little bit of you out on, the, on Facebook. It's the you that you want everybody to see. But there's a lot more to you than that. The problem is, for most people in our world, most people don't look below the surface. A lot of people get fooled into thinking that little bit that everybody can see, that's all there is to me. I lived that way for many years until God began to invite me into the inward journey to look below the surface, to look at at, at some places where... uh, I was being motivated by some things that weren't Jesus. You know, as much as I was, I was sincere in serving the community. I was genuine. But I can tell you, in spite of all my good motives, there were actually some bad motives mixed in beneath the surface as well. And Jesus invited me into this journey. The first thing that Jesus wanted to deal with was my work ethic. I had always believed in hard work. I'm a hard worker. I'll... You know, it's, it's, it's a noble thing. You know, my first time I, I worked in high school, you know, really worked, I was working five jobs lifeguarding, uh, partly to prove my dad wrong. You know, he, 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 he said that uh, uh, he, he thought that spending time playing music was, was kind of silly, uh, that I needed to do something that would work out to a better career. And I'm like, I'll show you. And so I was working five different lifeguards one summer, and I bought that keyboard by the end of the summer. Um, but I've had this work ethic for, for most of my life where I just want to go, go, go. And we think that's a noble thing in our culture. And, and, you know, it can be. But I began to examine my own need to go, 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 do, do, do all the time. And, and God began to show me that really much of my work ethic, much of my hard work was really running from pain. It was a lot easier for me to go and work 60 hours a week than it was for me to face the relational dynamics of being married, to face uh, stuff with my kids, to face even my own issues. Work had become for me an addiction just like anything else. It distracted me. You know, I've, I've, I've struggled with addiction in my life at different places. And, you know, I can look back on the, 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 the core root of most all of my addictions is not wanting to deal with pain, not wanting to face reality. Though I wasn't doing any of the classic addictions that you think of, drugs, alcohol, anything like that, I'd become addicted to work. Because work makes a lot more sense. You go out there to do a project, you get it done, you see the results. But being a father, being a husband, you can't see at the end of the day what you've done. <laughs> you, it, it's a bit more mysterious. It's, it's relational. It's, it's hard to put your finger on, is this good or not? It's much easier to just say, I did that. I got my purpose done in that. See, work for me... Uh, it was I was getting my my identity caught up in it and what I was doing. I was running from pain. I wasn't knowing how to to, to to just be still and be with my family. And God 
invited me into the inward journey. How did he invite me into this? What, what transpired? Well, it involved a lot of things. Now, and, and I want to say that, again, I use the term journey because I don't think I've arrived at the destination yet, okay? It's, it's a journey. A lot of times we, we kind of think of Christianity as you come up, you give your life to Jesus, and there's no more problems ever. Praise God. God is good all the time. But that's, that's not the truth. God, God gives His Spirit to live inside of you, but you know, if, you've been, if you spent three or four decades not living like Jesus, you need your mind renewed. And it doesn't all happen the moment you say yes to Jesus. It's a continual process of submitting your life to Jesus. Uh, a, a discipleship. Learning, learning His ways. Renewing your mind. So for me, I, I learned some different ways Partly through counseling. I'm a big fan of counseling. I go counseling a few times a year and just to check on stuff on the inside, you know, work on things that, that are some of my issues on the inside. Uh, I worked towards a schedule that prioritized my marriage and family. You know, one of, the, one of the things that I see that people in ministry fall into, one of the traps you get into all the time, is we're so busy trying to serve other people that, that we, we forget uh, about us, that, that, that God wants to take care of us. I don't think it's a testimony to anybody if, if people are serving so much that their, marriage, their marriages fall apart. I don't think that communicates what God wants to say to the rest of the world. I don't think it communicates, uh, you know, because I would say it like this, God's messenger is as important as his message. What God does in you speaks as much to other people as anything you're going to say, if not more. Because I think we live in a world that's been saturated by people who have heard the gospel. They've just failed to see the gospel in our lives. They failed to see the evidence of God's love in our lives. Paul said it this way. Here's a scripture verse. It's somewhere. Something he wrote. (laughs) He's talking to one of his churches. And he says, you are a letter read by all people. You're God's epistle. God is writing a story with your life that speaks to other people. Other people are going to look at your life and read about what God has done. But you know that that that's that's that comes from what God does on the inside of us. It's not just our words. And God wants our words to match up with what he's doing on the inside. Does that make sense? He wants them to both come in tune. So I learned how to walk through difficult situations rather than running from them. I learned how to develop some authentic relationships where I could be open and honest with folks who were on the same journey. I learned to incorporate more and more times of reflection and contemplation in my life so I wasn't just on autopilot all the time. And bit by bit, God began to hit on some of these things on the inside. See, the truth is, everybody in here, there are things that move you that aren't God in your life, and things that you're completely blind to. Some of it has to do with your upbringing. Some of it has to do with with various trials you've faced in your life, pains you've gone through. But there's a lot of stuff within that, that, that moves you, and you don't even know why, and you're not conscious of it. But with Jesus, we can begin to face these things. You know, I think every week or every month, it seems like we are shocked with the revelations that come out about a, a pastor 
or a senator who's committed an affair or a general <laughs> or a CEO who's embezzled money from his company. And when, when we see these things, many times we're very shocked. And a lot of times we're shocked because the public persona didn't match that action. You all remember the Jimmy Swaggart thing? I mean, if you were here long enough, go. Jimmy Swaggart, his big message was preaching against sexual immorality. And when word comes out that he'd been with a prostitute, it's like, what? No. He could, he could have done anything else but that. There was a disconnect. There was the, the tip of the iceberg that everybody saw, but there was the stuff underneath the surface. And I've got to tell you, we can point our fingers at CEOs, senators, uh, televangelists, people who've fallen from grace, but I've got to tell you, it's in you and it's in me. And I think if you put any of us in the right set of circumstances... Some of your issues are going to come to the front and you're going to end up doing something that you didn't think you were capable of. You will. You will. But that's that stuff underneath the surface. That's the stuff that Jesus wants to touch because Jesus wants to transform you from the inside out. He longs to set things right within you. I'm going to share something today. I don't think I've ever shared this story in public, so here we go. Um, When I was a teenager, uh, I was in 11th grade. I had my first real girlfriend, my first love, and, uh, you know, we were crazy in love with each other. A few months into our relationship, we became sexually active. And I get a call from her one month uh, after we'd dated for about eight months, and she said, Crispin, I'm, I'm pregnant. And, you know, I think every person when you're high school age, you, you, you think you know a lot more than you actually do. Um, you, you think you're ready to be an adult, but when faced with the reality that I could be a father, I was scared to death. Um, and me and my girlfriend at the time, we, we began talking to one another, like, what should we do? And she's like, well, I just need to get an abortion. There was a town right down the road from us, 20 miles down the road, and, and there were some abortion clinics over there. And she said, we need to do that. I wasn't following God at that time, but I had enough sense of morality that, no, we don't need to do that. We need to, 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 to keep this baby. And that led to probably the hardest conversation I'd ever had in my life. I had to tell my parents, get my parents involved in it. And that wasn't fun at all. I, I, I sat down with my mom and dad and said, hey, I got this girl pregnant. She wants to have an abortion. Is there any, you know, what do y'all think? And my parents were very gracious. They said, look, you know, if she will agree to carry this baby to term, we'll make sure that, that this baby gets adopted, taken care of somehow. And so I called her up and I said, hey, here's a situation. My, my parents said they'll, they'll make sure that this baby gets taken care of, adopted, whatever needs to happen. Uh, can, can you do that? And... She said, look, I don't want to go to prom pregnant. I don't want to be one of those kind of people. I, I'm not going to keep this baby. And it became such a, we argued so much that, that our relationship just came apart at the seams. Well, a few days later, I get a call, and she says, look, I just wanted to tell you, I, I took another pregnancy test, and it turns out I wasn't pregnant. So I breathed a, a big sigh of relief, at least temporarily. We were working at, we both worked at a restaurant 
And uh, one of the waitresses there that, that knew my girlfriend, uh, probably four or five months later, she tells me, hey, look, I thought you ought to know this. Your girlfriend got an abortion behind your back. Uh, she got one of her mom's friends to, to finance it, and, and she actually got the abortion. And, you know, I, I hear a lot of stuff in our modern world about um, women who've had it. I mean, maybe there's women in here who've had an abortion. And I think it's, there, there's not a whole lot of press on, on what it does to a person. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, it's just a very, there, there's, there's damage emotionally that you're going to have to walk through as a woman. I don't, I don't ever hear anybody talking about the guys, though. And I've got to tell you, it, it, it messed me up. It messed me up good. I, I felt such a sense of betrayal and pain like I'd never felt in my life up to that point. And I quickly went into a downward spiral in my life, you know. It's like I'd been doing a little drinking, a little, you know, kind of recreational drug use, but it was on after that. I just started looking to anything I could to, to escape reality. Well, fast forward about six years. Uh, when I was 20 years old, I, got, I became a Christian. And I'd say when I was around 22, 23, I was attending a church. Uh, and I was, I've mentioned this recently, I was the most disciplined follower of Christ you can imagine. I mean, my regiment, I was much more disciplined than I am now. But uh, I, I just read the Bible. I read books about the Bible. I worshipped. I prayed. Uh, I served at the church. I listened to only Christian radio, all varieties. I had crazy theology uh, from all the Christian radio that I listened to. Because um, <laughs> Christian radio can confuse you if you listen to multiple programs. Um, but I got to a point about two years into my uh, following Jesus where I was done. I said, God, I can't, I can't keep doing this. If this is what the... The abundant life is about, I'm going out to a bar tonight and going to find somebody to hook up with because I can't do this. It's miserable. I'm working my butt off and I don't feel like I got more love or joy or peace or anything. I feel like I'm really struggling here. And I told God one, one Sunday morning, I said, God, if something doesn't happen, I'm out of here. It's not because I don't love you. I just can't, I can't do this Christian life. If this is doing the Christian life, I can't do it. That morning I went to church and, you know, we oftentimes in this church, we invite people to come down to the front for prayer. And, and I, that church was, was similar. They invited folks up for prayer and I, I began to get prayer up at the front. And I had a few real crazy prayers pray for me. Nothing happened. And uh, it was a real charismatic church. And, but then I had some woman just come up and, and gently pray something for me. I don't even know what it was. All I know is the Holy Spirit came upon me like I've never experienced ever to this day. Next thing I know, I'm laying on the floor and God's beginning to talk to me about this relationship I hadn't thought of in years. That thing that happened back in high school. I'm laying there and God began to tell me, like, I really, I, I, I hadn't ever gone to counseling. I didn't know anything about dealing with stuff on the inside. I just really thought, you, you sign up to follow Jesus, you're good, you know, and uh, no problems. I'm laying on the floor there, and, and God just began to speak to me. He's like, this thing happened, and you made a decision in your heart that you were never going to trust anybody again. This thing happened, 
and, and you have shut people out. People can only get so close to you. As I reflected on it, I realized that was the truth. There was never a relationship that I was in past that point where I didn't break up with the girl. I was never going to let another girl break my heart like that. If things got, got the slightest bit serious or I had the slightest uh, idea that, that somebody was going to hurt me, it was cut off. I'm going to hurt you. You're not going to hurt me. But what God began to show me, it wasn't just those relationships that happened after that, before I was following Jesus. He said, you brought that into your Christian experience. You do that with other people in the church. You, you keep people at, at an arm's distance because you don't, you don't want them to get too close. You don't want anybody to hurt you. And he said, you know what? What's worse is you do that with me, Crispin. See, I, I, was, I was part of my problem. I was doing so much for God, but I was keeping God at a distance. And that morning, God just touched me, and I got up off the floor 20 minutes later, and I was a different person. I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was like, you know, a couple of years worth of counseling in, <laughs> in one moment. I got up, and, and, and it was like God had taken something off of me. It's like my eyes were opened. I mean, really, it's like things look clearer. God had brought healing to my heart. And I share that to just say this morning that there are stuff, there, there's all kinds of things that, that have left their scar on, on, our, on our souls. There are things that have hurt every one of us in here. And you don't walk away from those things and just, you know, suck it up and go on. Sometimes you need God to touch those things and to bring healing. Because those things, they move your life. You may not be aware of them, but they affect... I, you know, th- th- the reality is, I had no clue until God showed it to me that these motives beneath the surface were, were dictating how I related to people and to God. I had no clue. It was underneath the surface. But God brought it to light. Now, what I want to say about the inward journey is sometimes God does dramatic things like that. I think that's the way I would love God to do it every time. <laughs> God, just do that thing where you give me two years of counseling in one moment and I wake up, you know, I get up a different person. I like that package. <laughs> I wish that were the only uh, way that God worked. But I found that most of the time in my life at least, it, it, it's been a little different. Sometimes it's involved other people, close friends. See, the inward journey for me, it, it really required walking out of myself and starting to live more in authentic relationships with other people, that other people could, could join me and pray for me. Stephen Colbert term, came up with a term on his program a few years ago, truthiness. You ever heard that term? And it's kind of like, truthiness is kind of like, you know, the style of truth, right? But it's not necessarily true. I hear of a lot of churches that say, come as you are and you'll be loved. And it's kind of truthiness. (laughs) Come as you are and we'll love you for a few weeks until you change and then, uh, you know, we're going to kick you out. Uh, I think we, we all... 
one thing we say here, we want to try to be an authentic place. We want to be a place where you can be yourself and be authentic. But I think that value of authenticity in so many churches, it's really kind of truthiness. Because to really be yourself, you've got you to kind of know yourself a bit. You've got to kind of look beneath the surface a bit. And I've got to tell you, the amazing thing on the inward journey is that even, even some of these stories that I've shared today for the first time, I can share these stories today without shame. Because God's dealt with them. I'm not having to hide them. I'm not having to run from them. These, these painful places in my life have encountered the love of Christ. And I've been changed. They don't hold me anymore. They don't mark my identity. Now, there's still things that I'm a work in progress. Y'all know that. I ain't got to say that. <laughs> I'm still a work in progress. But, but it happens through the inward journey. I've talked to a few people who've been coming to our Relate course on Wednesday nights. And a comment that I've heard more than anything is, Dude, me and my, my spouse are getting in more arguments than we ever got in since we started taking that class. <laughs> we came to this class to get help and we're going home fighting every night. What is up with that? Thanks for the help. <laughs> I paid 75 bucks for this. <laughs> I got to tell you, looking beneath the surface is never fun. It's not. It's kind of like the first time that Dina and I decided to make a budget. Because we were, our, our finances were just completely out of whack. This was years ago when we were living in Kenner. And to face... The fact that we were, you know, when we actually got the numbers out on the tables and realized that we're spending hundreds of dollars a month on eating out, that we're got this much credit debt, you know, spread over all these cards, that, uh, you know, we got this much student loan debt. It was just depressing. I'd rather just, you know, let's get, just ignore that a little bit longer, right? And that's the problem. We just keep ignoring it. Let's just keep that under the surface and, uh, and, and just keep going. So it's depressing when you see reality as it is, when you interrogate reality and you try to get down to the root. It's depressing. Sorry. But I've got to tell you, it has to happen. We have to face the reality of our situations. We can't always run from it. And really, for Dina and I, facing reality was the first step on actually rebuilding our finances and getting out of debt. It was a painful step. But you know, over the months as we, we began to, to live in a budget, we got out of debt. Well, years. Uh, it started to get fun, though. After a while, we started to feel free. I believe that's kind of like the inward journey for all of us. You know, at this church, we value the inward journey, so some of the things we do is, is like that. We do this, this marriage course where you, you get below the surface a little bit and you start communicating about things that you've never talked about. But it's not just that. Back in the summer, we ran a Abba's Child, a Brennan Manning study for the women. Guys did Wild at Heart. Both of these books were trying to deal with the poser, the imposter, trying to get down to the core desires that make us men, make us women. 
And in a couple of weeks, we're going to start something else. And I want you to consider doing this as well. We're going to be doing three is enough groups. And three is enough groups, uh, we, we do them every year during Lent. And what a, what a, we call them tie groups. What a tie group is, is you just make a commitment to get with two or three other people. Four, even. Once a week. It's not a Bible study. It's not even much of a prayer group. <laughs> it's just being intentional about involving other people in your journey. Last year, I've done it every year with a different group of people. Last year, me and Zach and Ryan, who was playing bass up here, and uh, Penny's husband, Brian, we, we get together on Tuesday nights once a week. And, and here's how it works. We just talk about what's going on in our life. This is my week. And after about an hour of doing that, we would just pray for each other. That's it. Sometimes it was the prayers was over in <laughs> five minutes. It wasn't... But I, I got to tell you, just the discipline about uh, involving a couple other guys in my life and hearing this story, hearing their stories, it, it really helped me stay in touch with some of the stuff beneath the surface, both in me and, and, and to pray for, for, for my friends and the things that they were facing. So today, when you walk out of here, I, I think that's the way we're going to do it today, that... Um, Mike's going to stand at the back door and give you one of our sheets that says about joining the journey. It's just, a, it's just a, an agreement to, if you want to be a part of a group of people that are heading this way, that are taking their connection with, with God, with one another, with the surrounding world, and with their own hearts. If you want to be a part of a group of people that's doing that, we want you to take one of these forms home. And what we ask is that you would just prayerfully consider if, if this is where God is leading you. Why do you have to, you know, I, I know a lot of people are commitment averse because of your issues beneath the surface. No. Uh, <laughs> I get it. This has nothing to do with, we're not trying to say, oh, right, we got this many people who are official members of Vineyard. This is really, we're just committing to do this together. I know if I make a, if many times I get inspired by something, but unless I make an actual commitment, uh, the inspiration is over in a couple of days. Uh, sometimes, uh, <laughs> two blocks from here, right? <laughs> so today I just want you to take one of these forms, take it home and just prayerfully consider. And, and if you, you don't decide to join us with us, you're still welcome here, okay? You're, you're, you know, it's, it's not like membership is going to have any privileges. Actually, if, you're, if you join this journey with us, this one-year commitment, uh, you, you might get called more to serve in various areas, but that, that's about all we can offer you. <laughs> <laughs> And I just want us to get quiet with the Lord for a moment.